0: And welcome to Catholics Coast to Coast. I'm your host, Ace McKay, where we get a chance to really sneak in and see what's happening in the conversations at Podcast Central. If you are new and haven't heard about this yet, just easily go to EWTN.com slash radio and know that you have a plethora of podcasts to choose from that you can take with you. Subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. And this week, excited to jump on the journey to find out more about the examination of the catechism and especially answering the question, What is the church? So, what does that focus mean when it comes to the church's inner nature? Well, we're going to join the conversation this week with this week's Catholics Coast to Coast.
1: Well, hello and welcome to another strong enough for him, but pH balanced for her episode of On the Journey with Matt and Ken Mm -hmm. and Kenny. I'm Matt Swaim, Director of Outreach for the Coming Home Network, joined by my colleagues Ken Hensley, who is Director of Pastoral Care, Kenny Burchard, Director of Development. We all came from various backgrounds in the evangelical world and all ended up Catholic. And that's what this particular show is all about. This series we're doing is on the church. You can find previous episodes of On the Journey and lots of other cool stuff at chnetwork.org. We'd love to meet you over there. We'd also love to talk to you, if you're able, in our online community, which you can find Hmm. at community.chnetwork.org. Of course, all of this is made possible by the generous support of donors and if you want to join them in their support of our work, you can go to chnetwork.org slash compass. Gentlemen, how are you?
2: I'm, I'm great. recovering from I'm recovering from the pain of your introduction. Okay.
1: Yeah. Well at least they're strong enough for a
2: I I am okay though. I'm, I'm fine. Something about pH balance. Lord, it
1: has been four <laughs> days. There will be a stench. <laughs> All right. So we're yeah. we're talking four, about the
2: church four minutes. today.
1: Four minutes, <laughs> Four minutes of, of, uh, of intro. So we're talking about the church it. today, and this is this whole series is, is going to be about the church. So Ken, if you could, yeah. catch us up to where we are today.
2: Well, we began last week by by talking about. Uh, our thoughts back when we were Protestants about the Church and whatnot. Um, I want to begin today by just talking, uh, saying a word about our approach on this particular series, because the series that we're doing here on Catholic Ecclesiology, the Doctrine of the Church, it's going to be a little different than the series that we've done in the past for the On the Journey with Matt and Ken and, and Kenny show, um, mainly in this way. In the series that we've done in the past, whether on Sola Scriptura, uh, Scripture and Tradition, whether on the Papacy or Eucharist, Mary, whatever— the pattern that we have followed has been to focus almost entirely on the process of thought that led us, each of us individually, from what we once believed when we were Protestants to what we now believe as Catholics. Um, the emphasis was always on our conversion to the Catholic teaching, on our particular journey. In other words, autobiographical Catholic apologetics is, has been the focus on our, the, in the series we've done thus far. And while this emphasis will come through in this series as well, in this particular series, what we decided to do is a little different. We're going to work our way through the entire section on the church in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, that is paragraphs 748 through 945, if you have a catechism. Um, We're going to work our way through the entire section expounding on Catholic ecclesiology and then commenting along the way on our own stories. And there are some important there are important differences, of course, that are going to come out um, as to what we believed when we were Protestants, certainly for me when I was a Baptist pastor, and I'm sure for you as well, and what we believe now. Uh, these differences will come out. But but I but I gotta say, and I I want to say right at the beginning that as I've read through this material a couple of times, preparing for this series, the thing that has struck me the most really is how much of it I believed when I was a Baptist minister years and years before I ever even conceived of the, of thinking about the Catholic church. And so I put it this way. It's not so much that I believe differently now, although there are some ways in which I do, as it is that as a Catholic, I believe more than I did before. Not so much differently, but more, more about the church. Would you gentlemen uh, be willing to say amen to that a little bit?
1: I can absolutely concur to that, and I want to hear Kenny's thoughts as well. Um, I think, as with many of these topics that we've discussed before, what I found was uh, I didn't realize how low my ecclesiology was, how low my opinion Mm. was of the church. Uh, We talked about this, actually, in relation to the Mary series, and she's going to come up throughout our series on the church for reasons that will become apparent, but um, I I realized that the church, and thinking through a lot of topics, Mary being one, the church being one, communion, baptism, had just a much they'd pay a lot more attention to things that I would gloss over. And the church is just a great example of this. Uh, if Christ really did come and say something to people and mm-hmm. wanted it to be carried out, uh, there's just, the church has thought a lot about the implications of that. Um, the Catholic church, that is. Whereas mm-hmm. the churches that I went to, um, I, I I believed gotcha. that there was this invisible church and that we were all somehow part of it, but it was not fleshed out the way that, the, that what we're about to mm-hmm. read is fleshed out.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I, I think of um, kind of my, my prior ecclesiology as that which gave me uh, theological placeholders, you know, things that were in the shape of what I now understand and, and believe, you know, having heard the Catholic understanding of these things. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm supremely blessed and I owe so much to my, my previous mentors and teachers and, and pastors and influences who gave me the shape of things. Mm-hmm. But in this episode, I think especially, we'll see that so many of the things that we believed before, um, we, we had a placeholder for it, but now our Catholic understanding fills in that place in dramatic detail. So, amen.
2: Yeah. Amen to that. And and uh, we'll be doing quite a bit of reading then in this series as well, because we really want to tie everything we have to say into the Catechism. And frankly, I want to expose those who are watching and listening to the Catechism, not simply to, you know, Ken Hensley's brain or my thoughts or anything like that. Okay. Here's how the Catechism begins this section on the church. Under the heading from the Apostles' Creed, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. So I'm I'm reading paragraph 748, and then commenting on it. Christ is the light of humanity, and it is, accordingly, the heartfelt desire of this sacred council. We're referring to the the council Vatican II. It is the heartfelt desire of this sacred council being gathered together in the Holy Spirit, that by proclaiming this gospel to every creature, it may bring to all men that light of Christ which shines out visibly from the church. These words open the Second Vatican Council's dogmatic constitution on the Church, the document titled Lumen Gentium. By choosing this starting point, the Council demonstrates that the article of faith about the Church depends entirely on the articles concerning Christ Jesus. The Church has no other light than Christ's. According to a favorite image of the Church Fathers, the Church is like the moon, all its light reflected from the sun. And I, I, I let me begin by saying that as a Baptist, if someone had put this paragraph in front of me and read it to me, I would have thought, "What a beautiful, what a wonderful way to begin talking about the church." The church has no light of her own, gentlemen. To the extent that the church functions, in fact, as a light in the world at all, it's only because Christ, and to the extent that Christ is in His church, speaking through His church working in and through his church, serving the world through his church. The church is the moon. I I love that image. Jesus is the sun whose light is reflected in the church. That is when our sins have not like dark rain clouds uh, blocked out that light. It's Christ's light and Christ's light alone.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So okay, yeah, I wanted to— yeah, go ahead. Uh, to just key in on the moon image for a moment because it's such a cool image for so many reasons. And when I was doing the uh, the Mary for- foreshadowing right now, uh, this is partly why. So I've got this, this uh, Benedictine monk friend from Australia who does these translations of, you know, forgotten works. His name is Father Nixon, Father Robert Nixon, and he did this one called Crown of the Virgin by St. Ildefonsus of Toledo. Uh, mm-hmm. Don't try and spell that, you know, without a little help. Uh, but in... In this book, he's talking about the various images that are, you know, reflective of the virtues of Mary, you know, gemstones and flowers and stuff. And one of the things is the moon. And this is actually an image that has been used quite a bit in reference to Mary. Um, So it says this about the moon. It says, the moon receives its own light from the supreme light and source of all light, the sun, and thus serves to illuminate the night. It is mild and lovely, casting refreshing dew upon the earth while exposing thieves in the hours of darkness and repelling them from from their nefarious deeds uh, you reflect god's magnificence in magnificence in your own being but you do this in a mild form gentle yet clear communicating and transmitting the light of the sun faithfully and thus you illumine the night of our sorrow and put the flight the impulse to sin and so on and so forth uh, i think we talked about in this series with with mary how sometimes if you're having difficulty with understanding mary uh you know sometimes the easiest thing to do is take the word mary and substitute it with the word church and i think this is a perfect example of this Mary receives no, she doesn't, she's not the origin of her own purity or light (laughs) or she's merely transmitting what has been given to her by the true light. And in the same way, I mean, we're going to see this, this image overlapping over and over through the course of this. And and even in when we call the the church a mother, but I just love this idea of the moon because I mean, if the sun were to go out, moon would have no light. It just would not. (laughs) There is no light coming from the moon without the sun.
2: Zero. Yes. No light. Okay, now uh, in paragraph seven forty nine, this same thought is continued and expanded on a little bit. So let me read that. The article concerning the church also depends entirely on the article about the Holy Spirit, which immediately precedes it. So you, you have the articles about God, and that is in the in the in the, um, in the creeds. The articles about Jesus Christ, then the articles about the Holy Spirit, and then follows the church. Indeed, having shown that the Spirit is the source and giver of all holiness, we now confess that it is he who has endowed the church with holiness. The church is, in a phrase used by the fathers, the place where the Spirit flourishes. And I just want to emphasize how much I agree with this, and I would have when I was a Baptist as well. This is where we have to begin our study of Catholic ecclesiology. Because when every single Sunday in Mass, when we all stand and we recite together the Nicene Creed's article on the church, that is, I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church, we are not talking about traits that the church possesses in her own right. We're talking about endowments. We're talking about gifts. We're talking about, just as you just said, Matt, about regarding the Virgin Mary, we're talking about endowments that Jesus, the head of his church, and the Holy Spirit has given to the church. In fact, the Holy Spirit is often referred to as the soul of the church. And paragraph 750 makes this explicit. To believe that the church is holy and Catholic and that she is one and apostolic, as the Nicene Creed adds, is in escape is is inseparable from belief in God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We attri- we attribute clearly to God's goodness all the gifts He has bestowed on His Church.
3: This can be a a really good place, Ken, to talk about something I've I've heard a lot since I've become Catholic, getting into conversations with people mm-hmm. about what it means to be Catholic and the Catholic Church. And I don't know how much you guys have heard this, but sometimes people will say, "You Catholics just can't stop talking about the Catholic Church. It's like all you ever talk about, mm-hmm. you you know, church, church, church." And we we on the other hand we talk about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. <laughs> and this goes back to the, you know, the, the the reflex I think that I had before I was Catholic, which is to try to put an or in between everything mm-hmm. instead of an and in between mm-hmm. things that go together. What the catechism is saying here is that the church is what God has done. It is, in a sense, um, his workmanship. As the book of Ephesians says, we are his workmanship, you know, his great masterpiece. So it's not that we have these virtues in ourselves. These are, as you said, endowments. They're the, 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 the church is the work of the Lord in the world. And that's, that's where the and goes. It's God and his church, Jesus and yeah. His His body and His Bride.
2: And that's why I think it's so good that the Catechism chose to begin here, just to state this boldly and to state it, you know, to, to, to assert it explicitly that, that the church mm-hmm. has nothing of her own. It's all the work mm-hmm. of Christ. It's all the work of the Holy Spirit. This is how the whole topic is introduced. But at this point now, what the catechism does is it begins to discuss the church in God's plan um and this is a subject that we're going to be on for a couple of weeks and so Kenny why don't why don't you launch this here because it talks about the names of the church and then we will be talking about the images of the church biblical images so why don't you start sure. us by talking about the names of the church
3: yeah and again i'm i'm looking as you said Ken at uh, at the catechism specifically uh, paragraphs 751 and 752. And I'll just read a little bit of, of this. And uh, mm-hmm. if you listen to the last episode, you'll hear a little bit of repeat here. Uh, last week, we talked in our Catholic terminology section on, um, the word ecclesia. So let me read, though, a little bit from paragraph 751 and make some comments. It says, the word church, Latin ecclesia from the Greek ekkalain, To call out of means a convocation or an assembly. It designates the assemblies of the people usually for a religious purpose. Now, we said last time uh, that the word doesn't always have religious connotations, but in Scripture, the word is is adapted and adopted to the whole people of God Mm -hmm. who are gathered for a particular purpose. And these two words that make up Sort of the, uh, the main chunk of, uh, of the word or the, or the word as a, as a whole. Ekkaleo, uh, out of called, called out of. But the idea there isn't just called out of something. Rather, it's, it's called away from something to something. And the to, uh, what is the church called to? The church is called to the Lord and to the business of the Lord, to the, mm-hmm. to what the Lord is doing in the world. This is going to be really important when we start talking about body of Christ and the mission of the church and what God is doing in the world. So it says then um, Ecclesia is used frequently in the Greek Old Testament for the assembly of the chosen people before God, above all uh, for their assembly on Mount Sinai, where Israel received the law and was established by God, As his holy people. So there you see the called out of, out of Egypt, out of the world, out away from the pagan nations to the Lord, to Mm -hmm. his way, to his law, to his way of being human in the world together as a community. Let's see. Where did I end up? Okay. By calling itself church, the first community of Christian believers recognized itself as heir to that assembly in the church, God is calling together his people from all the ends of the earth. Let's pause there. uh, And and again, the church doesn't just take this word to itself. Rather, it takes to itself the word that, that Jesus ascribes to what he's doing. I will build my church. So the church says, aha, that's us. What's he doing? He's taking us out of every kindred, tribe, tongue, and nation, out of darkness, into light, out of a wayward and lost life, into his kingdom, into his enterprise, and into his his business, as it were. And he calls us into that together. I'll just say a real quick word here about um, my Catholic ecclesiology, then is impacted by this word. As I said it next to a rather individualistic ecclesiology that I had before, kind of a me and Jesus ecclesiology. Mm-hmm. I even heard people say, and maybe I said when I, when I wasn't Catholic, well, I'm the church. I am, that's me and Jesus. I'm the church. Well, there's no such thing, you know, in scripture. I am not the church. <laughs> the church is not an I proposition. It's God calling his whole people together. So it's a we then this last idea here the equivalent greek term uh kuriake from which the english word church and the german word uh, kirke, i hope i'm saying that right are derived means what belongs to the lord you can find that word used for instance in uh first corinthians where it talks about the lord's supper it's it's his what's it's what belongs to him so the church the name church means that there is this entire people called away from something to something, and called to be together. And at the end of the day, it's the people who belong to the Lord. Let me pause right there for anything you you guys might want to say, Matt.
1: Yeah, I, just a, a couple of things quickly. First of all, I like the idea of of bringing in this this notion of Kirk and Kirka or whatever, because it means you know a lot of people don't pro- yeah. probably realize that Captain Kirk's last name is Church. Uh, maybe you've even heard of, <laughs> if you've got Scottish the heritage, Kyrka. the idea of the Kirkin of the Tartans, right? Where you take your uh, mm-hmm. your flannels and go get them blessed, as it were. But um, there, there's there's so much in here. Um, one thing that that I think is important is this line where it says, by calling itself church, the first community of Christian mm-hmm. believers recognized itself as heir to that assembly. Now that might seem like just a, a gloss over line, but it's a line that, that I think illustrates something very different than what we have would have thought of as church. Like we might have like smiled and nodded at this, but we wouldn't have thought about it the way that the Catholic church thinks about it. Maybe you would have. I, I certainly would not though. Um, the idea that we as church are doing our best to imitate what we see in the scriptures. Um, the Catholic church says, no, we are actually the heirs to the model set out in that Davidic covenant. And so just like, there was a line of succession unbroken despite all the dumb things that people did in that line God held to his promise. And as Ken, you illustrate all the time in our series, the, the fulfillment is always greater than the foreshadowing. So if we are heirs to that promise, then whatever Christ set into motion by saying that he was founding a church is something that is more robust and more bolstered uh than even the kingship of Israel, which survived exiles and and all kinds of crazy stuff. That idea of being heirs, uh, the believers considering themselves as heirs to that line that survived the rise and fall of empires, is something that Catholics take on in a very robust way. Actually, Orthodox take this on as well. Anybody with that apostolic sort of ecclesiology. Uh, But with that, that kind of goes back to something that, Ken, you and I talked about in episodes 45 through 61. We did this whole thing on Christian authority and what it looks like. Um, and going back just a couple paragraphs, that idea, like, why does that work? Why can we say that, why do we latch onto this airship uh, and this promise of of, of God sustaining and, and fulfilling and, and and trusting these things to us and that he's going to help us do that? Uh, when you talk about something like papal inf- infallibility, that's not so much about infallibility of a guy as it is about the papacy. And it's not so much about the papacy as it is about the church. And it's not so much about the church as it is about the Holy Spirit, <laughs> right? <laughs> so right. All these things kind of go back to that original concept that kicks <coughs> off this point. The only reason that you can say that you're an heir is not because you chose to be born into a specific situation, but because you were gifted with birth into a thing. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And I think that, that idea of heirship, uh, as opposed to, I don't know, starting up a corporation that is going to reflect the values of these people we admire. Mm-hmm. Those are two very different kinds of concepts. And I think, um, well, depending on, on who you ask, you might come up with a, a range of ideas of what it means to be heirs to that promise. But the Catholic Church takes it very, like, concretely serious. Mm-hmm.
2: You know, when you mentioned Captain Kirk as being Captain Church, and then you mentioned an airship, I thought you were still on the Captain Kirk kind of, you know, line it's of not thought there. It's airship, it's a spaceship. Oh, okay. okay, the only thing I want There's to no add— no air in space, er- Ken. Yeah, or the only thing I want to emphasize here is that in your description, Kenny, so far, the, the meaning of the of the Greek word ekklesia, the meaning of the Latin term, the meaning of the, uh, the English terms, in fact, um, the focus is on the church as the people of God, which is going to come out exactly. in the next paragraph you're looking at. The emphasis so far has been on the assembly, that is, the called out people, the people of God. And this is something very important to the Vatican II documents and to what the catechism teaches. But you go ahead then with the next paragraph. That's all I want to add.
3: Yeah, the next paragraph um, gets us into the, the specifics of, okay, well, what, what is what is it, previous paragraph, what does it or she, as we'll see, do? And in paragraph 752, we read this. In Christian usage, the word church designates the liturgical assembly, but also the local community or the whole universal community of believers. These three meanings are inseparable. Well, let's the Catechism wants us to take those uh, in in reverse. And so here, here's how it, it works. It says the church is the people that God gathers in the whole world. Then watch this. She exists in local communities and is made real as a liturgical, above all Eucharistic assembly. Here we go again, she, draws her life from the Word and the body of Christ, and so herself becomes Christ's body. So there's two big ideas that I want to unpack here, and then I'll toss it to you guys. First is how the Church becomes Christ's body. And the Catechism says, essentially, by word and sacrament, by taking in God's Word and by taking in the body of Christ Mm -hmm. in the Eucharist. And second, the identity of the church in becoming Christ's body is that she becomes her. So, the catechism is using this she and her language, which is really Paul's ecclesiology in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 32. He says, "...this is a profound mystery." And he's been talking about how a husband loves his wife and how a wife responds to her husband. And there's head and there's body and there's this mutuality of connectedness and submission and love and cleansing and all the mm-hmm. things that go on and the the beautification uh, uh of each's life. And he says, now, this is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. Now, remember, guys, I said at the beginning that I had theological placeholders when, before I was Catholic, for instance, the term Bride of Christ. I would have used that, that the church is the Bride of Christ. I would have said that. My Catholic ecclesiology puts that in there and fills it out for me. Uh, the term that I heard from um, Pope, Benedict, Pope Benedict XVI uh, uh, Joseph Ratzinger, in his book on Catholic ecclesiology or Catholic theology, says this is nuptial language. The way that the the New Testament talks about the church is nuptial or marriage language, the language of being one flesh with Jesus. And that's done by receiving the word of the Lord and by receiving the body and blood of Christ in the Eucharist. This gathered people becomes one flesh, the catechism says, Mm -hmm. universally. That is, I join in one flesh the entire universal people of God, both in heaven and on earth. I become united to Jesus and to all of them when I hear the word and I receive Mm -hmm. the Eucharist. But then locally, when I gather together with those believers in my locale, and then liturgically, when we do the work of the Lord together in our gathering, when we celebrate the Mass and we celebrate the Eucharist, we become one with Christ in those places and in those ways. So that the church is not, like you said, Matt, a corporation. It's not an impersonal institution like a 501c3 nonprofit. Rather— Her institution is a nuptial relationship with Jesus, in which she Mm -hmm. is his one flesh partner, covenant partner in the world. She becomes a full participant in the life and vocation of her head, of her husband. This goes all the way back to to Genesis, where um, God says, It's not good for man to be alone. I'll find a suitable helper for Mm -hmm. him. The New Testament wants us to see the church as the suitable helper, the one flesh covenant partner of Jesus himself in the world. And I'll say a final thought and then toss it to you guys. This paragraph is why, uh, or one reason why at least, we as Catholics are able to use language about what the church is doing in the world in ways that may in some traditions only be used for what Jesus is doing in the world. Like we well that Jesus does that. You Catholics say the church does it. Well, it's because we are his one flesh covenant partner in the world. We are nuptially related to him in in this way. We are his body in the world. So where we are Jesus is and where Jesus is, we are.
1: I don't want to get us out into the weeds, but the other I thing will. by regarding the church as the bride, uh, we also get into this idea of the church as a mother, uh, because this is a fruitful relationship, and, mm-hmm. uh, the, the concept of, I mean, this, this goes back into some, some Mary stuff here, too, but receiving the mm-hmm. word, being a guardian protector of the word, right, uh, we are in the womb of the church, right, when you start to see this picture of what the church is and the robustness of this ecclesiology, uh, There are things that I used to read that I thought were kind of important and cool, but now I read them and they just have a whole different flavor to them. We're going to have to get onto more of this here in just a little bit. Uh, In the meantime, thank you for joining us for this particular episode of On the Journey as we continue to unpack what the church says about what the church is, at least the Catholic church. I'm Matt Swaim and thank you to my colleagues, Kenny Burchard and Ken Hensley. Gentlemen, we'll talk to you next time around.
0: Okay, we'll see, see you it. next week. What is communicated by saying that the church is the called-out assembly of the Lord? Well, Matt, Ken, and Kenny helping us to make sense of all of it this week. If you want to hear the rest of the conversation or go back and pick up in previous episodes as to what is the church on The Journey is on our podcast central page at EWTN.com radio. I'm Ace McCain, and as we get set for a quick break, we are really going to dive into the life of Mother Teresa thanks to our friends at Saints Alive. Though she began her life in the most humble of ways, her spirit, tireless devotion to the poor, also caught the attention of the world, and we will dive in to the beginning of the Saint Mother Teresa story with Saints Alive coming up on Catholics Coast to Coast. The destination for great
4: Catholic audio programming is EWTN Podcast Central, featuring the best of EWTN radio, as well as faith-filled podcasts from our friends and affiliates across the nation, all in one place, all free. If it's central to the faith, you can find it on EWTN Podcast Central. It's like podcast heaven. Visit EWTN.com slash
5: radio slash podcasts today. Welcome to Saints Alive. Today, we will hear the story of Mother Teresa, an extraordinary and beloved saint. She was born in Albania in 1910 and given the name Agnes. Though she began her life in the most humble of ways, her indomitable spirit and tireless devotion to the poor caught the attention of the world. She spoke about the tender love of God for all men, women, and children, especially the poor. With the strength that comes from God, she stood up to the most powerful people in the world, exhorting them to protect the most defenseless among us, the unborn. To a world grown cold to the things of the Spirit, she reminded them of what is possible with God if we could only look to him with the eyes of little children. The sun over India rose hot above a steamy Calcutta, The streets were clogged with the hurry of merchants, the wares of peddlers, and vagrant beggars. An aroma, a blend of both bitter and sweet, of cooking fish and vegetable curries, wafted through the morning mist. On top of the morning's usual bustle and commotion, a palpable tension hung in the air. What began as a vague uneasiness began to coalesce into a concerted frenzy. Outside the Missionary of Charities, Home for the Dying, a mob was gathering and growing.
6: Mother, mother, have you seen mother? Oh, oh mother, there you are.
7: What is the matter, my daughter? What is troubling you? A mob,
4: a mob is forming outside. They're angry, mother, and they're throwing stones and screaming curses at us. Oh, the crowd is getting bigger.
7: Come, Subhashini. Let us go to them. Go to them? Are we not Jesus' little lambs? Hmm? Will he not care for us in all our needs? Now, before I open this door, I want you all to listen to me. Is the servant greater than her master? Mother, what do you mean? Is the servant greater than her master? Hmm? If our Lord Jesus was hated, accused of falsehood, and condemned by mob, can we, we who left everything to follow Him, can we expect anything better?
5: Theresa Teresa opened the door and scanned the crowd with loving eyes, searching for a friendly face, but found not one. She closed her eyes and brought Jesus before her mind. Jesus who stood before Pontius Pilate while the ones he loved cried out, crucify him.
8: Please
5: help me, Jesus. The din from the crowd faded as Mother Teresa found her mind brought back to her childhood when friends and family knew her as Agnes, to the day this love was kindled, her first holy
3: communion.
4: Congratulations, my little Agnes.
6: Thank you, Father. Agnes, I looked at you today and could feel your joy. You received a great gift, Jesus Himself. Now, listen. Put your hand in His and never let go.
7: Yes,
4: Mother, I will. Now. Let's say grace so we can enjoy this beautiful dinner. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit... Who could that be?
6: Ah, Matteo! Umbra! We're so glad you could make it! Come in, come in!
4: Drana, may I speak with you for a moment?
6: Of course, my dear.
4: I know you want to help ease the suffering of our poor neighbors, but we have them over for many meals. Can't we have this special meal with just us? Just our family?
6: Nicola, today is a day of rejoicing. Our daughter has received Jesus in Holy Communion. Jesus wants to share a meal with those less fortunate. They are his guests.
4: Ah, my love. Whenever you speak, you remind me why I fell in love with you in the first place. Your heart. Ah, <laughs> oh, Mateo, Hambra, come take a seat next to me at the head of the table. Agnes, my darling, may this day be the start of something beautiful for God.
5: Agnes spent an idyllic childhood with her loving parents, brother, and sister. Her father, a successful businessman, was active in the political life in Albania, and admired by many of the poor for his generosity, but when she was 12, her father suddenly became very sick and passed away. It was a tragedy for their family, but Drana carried on and offered up her suffering to God.
6: Children. I know you are all grieving your father. This... This is a tremendous trial. But grief can either harden or soften hearts. Let's offer this sorrow to our Lord.
7: The Lord will make something
6: beautiful out of all of this. Yes, Agnes. He will. Now everyone, wash up. We have guests coming over. What sort of guests? Some of them are our relations, but all of them are our people. My child, never eat a single mouthful until you are willing to share with others. And never forget, children. When you do good, do it quietly, as if you were throwing stone into the sea.
5: Agnes, her brother and sister, lived with and learned from their mother's holy simplicity and kindness. Over the next few years, Agnes felt her heart welling up, filling with a desire for something more. Drana had recognized greatness in her daughter all along. So when Agnes chose to join the Loretto sisters in Ireland, it didn't come as a surprise. The year was 1928, and though Agnes was only 18 years old, and just five feet tall, she had the ability to hold the attention of a room. Her love of God was palpable. She and her mother stood on the train platform waiting to leave for Ireland. Drana looked into her daughter's eyes. She had the keen sense that this would be the last time she would hold her hand.
6: Put your hand in Jesus' hand and walk alone with him. Walk ahead, because if you look back, you will go back. Goodbye, my beautiful daughter.
5: As the train pulled away, Agnes could feel, fading into the distance, all that she had ever cherished in this world. She wiped away the tears that quickly slipped down her cheeks, and smiled broadly as she waved goodbye. She knew her journey was just beginning. Once she arrived in Ireland, Agnes joined the Sisters of Loreto and took the name Sister Mary Teresa in honor of St. Therese of Lisieux. Memories of her mother followed her across the seas. She knew that Jesus had been calling her all along to serve the poor and bring them the gospel. Her heart's most dear desire was to bring this joy to the most far-flung land which she could find on a map, India. She went to her Mother Superior to tell her of this calling.
8: Come in. Oh, Sister Mary Teresa, good to see you.
7: What is it that you need? Mother Superior, may I speak with you? Of course. What is it? Well, from the day of my first Holy Communion, the love for souls has been within.
8: It has grown within the years. Of course it has. Sure, look at the beautiful work you're doing here in Ireland. Yes, but I feel called to
7: leave. Leave? Yes, to India, in the hope of
8: saving many souls. India? (laughs) Oh, Sister. In the short time you've been here, I've seen the longing in your eyes to serve Jesus i would seen you in prayer, searching for his will. So, you'll allow it? Well, I just need to know this this call that you feel. Are you certain it's from Jesus? Yes, he's the one calling me. Mm. Well, if this is where Jesus is calling you, Who am I to get in his way? (laughs) Go. Go to India. Spread the news of his mercy and goodness. Thank you, Mother. Oh, (laughs) thank you. Ah, that little sister. I hope the world is ready for her.
5: Sister Teresa couldn't stop smiling as she ran back to her room at the convent. Jesus' words came to her mind. It is fire that I have come to bring upon the earth. How I wish it were already ablaze. With these words on her heart, she sat down and wrote to her mother.
7: Pray for your missionary, that Jesus may help her to save as many immortal souls as possible from the darkness of
6: unbelief.
5: Sister Teresa spent years teaching at a school for young Indian girls. Upon taking her final profession of vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience, she became a spouse of Jesus for all eternity and became known as Mother Teresa. Through her patient teaching, loving guidance, and unwavering commitment to her students, she won their admiration. In addition to teaching academics and catechism, she taught them a concern for the poor in their midst. One hot September day in 1946, Mother Teresa made her way through the crowded streets when she heard a voice behind her.
6: Mother! Mother Teresa! Ah, what is she? Who is are
7: running off? I was coming to find you, Mother. Where are you going? To a retreat in Darjeeling will only be a few days. Now what is on your mind my child? Come work with me. I want to ask you a question mother. Anything my dear.
4: See my family has written letters. Worrying letters they are um, well I come from a high caste in India. My father is very rich and the word is spreading that I am helping you feed and clothe the poor in the lower caste. Our neighbours call them uh, the untouchables. They think it's shameful for the daughter of a high caste family to be touching, even getting close to these
7: untouchables. I think it's ordained by the gods that the poor are poor. Subhashini. For the true God, there are no untouchables. Jesus touched the leopard, the blind. He washed the feet of dirty beggars. We are all poor, poor beggars before the Lord. All of us, not one of us is worthy to loosen the thongs of his sandals. But my family, what do I say to them? Their neighbors don't know the Lord, they're Himalou. My dear, sometimes there is nothing you can say to change minds and hearts. You can only show them the love of Jesus, the Son of the only true God. (laughs) Thank you, Mother Teresa. I knew you would have the advice that I needed. My train is calling. My dear, I'll be back soon.
5: Mother Teresa boarded the train filled to the brim with other passengers. She moved about and found an empty seat. As the train pulled out of the station, she took out her rosary and began to pray. With her eyes on the majestic peaks of the mountains, her tender voice whispered Hail Marys on her lips. With the regular rhythm of the train tracks in her ears and her mind on Jesus, Teresa found herself plunged into deep contemplation of God. herself along a narrow path in midday. The air was still. The sun was bright. She began to walk up a hill along the narrow path. Her soft footfalls on the stones penetrated the profound silence. As she neared the top of the hill, she found a well under a cerulean sky surrounded by blooming rose bushes. As a gentle breeze stirred through the roses, she heard a voice. Teresa, give me a drink.
7: Lord, it is you. I hear you. Please, let me see you.
5: Teresa, give me a drink. Teresa peered over the edge of the well and saw the most beautiful crystal clear water.
4: I thirst for
5: you Teresa, I thirst for your love, give me a drink. As Teresa drew the water pail from the depths of the well, her soul tasted the infinite and mighty goodness of Jesus. She began to weep for joy that the creator of the universe who loved her before the world began, desired, thirsted waited and longed for her love in return. As she held the pail, she looked into the water and saw her reflection. Slowly, the image in the water transformed into the faces of men and women, boys and girls. They do not know me, so
4: they do not want me. I thirst for all of them. Thirst to be loved by them. Teresa, be so very united to me as to radiate my love on souls. Let this word of mine echo in your soul. I thirst.
7: Thy will be done. Not my will. Not mine.
4: In fighting the darkness of this world with my love, you will feel my desolation and abandonment on the cross. Even though you will not feel my presence, you must know that I am with you.
1: Always.
5: Teresa opened her eyes and looked down at her hands, caressing the crucifix of her rosary beads. The train came to a stop, and she realized she was already in Darjeeling. All the happy consolation which had accompanied the vision was finished, and not to return. But her heart was full with the certainty of God's love, her mind absorbed with purpose, and her will was steeled. was her mission.
7: I will do what you ask, Lord. I will bring you to the poorest of the poor. These hands will do
6: your work.
0: With the strength that comes from God, she answered the call on her heart to start the Sisters of Charity and quench Christ's thirst for souls. Great stuff this week from Saints Alive. If you want to hear more of St. Mother Teresa, the story will continue at Podcast Central. Just go to EWTN.com slash radio, and let's take a moment from this week's mass readings and get this week's Word on the Word.
1: I guess y'all noticed
8: that we don't always think alike. No, and we don't always think like God does either, which is proclaimed in this Sunday's first reading. Isaiah writes, the Lord says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. We have a finite mind and viewpoint, so we don't always see where God is taking us. And that's where trust comes in. We have to seek his ways and then trust where he is taking us. After all, he is the whole picture, so his ways are always better. And if we do stray off the path, God is always ready to greet us with an abundance of mercy when we turn back to Him. Your challenge this week is to read the first reading for Sunday's Mass. It's Isaiah chapter 55, verses six through nine. Take time to meditate on this passage and ask God to help you be more open to His ways. And we'll see you here next week. Bye.
0: Hope that helps to break things down for you as you increase your time with God this week. And anytime you wanna hear more of Word on the Word, Check us out, Podcast Central at EWTN.com slash radio. That's going to do it for me this week. I'm Ace McKay. Thanks for spending time with us, and remember to subscribe and follow so you don't miss future episodes, but you can always catch up and binge on anything that you really are hungry for, and we hope you have a great rest of your week. Remember to let God define who you are, and I'll see you again for Catholics Coast to Coast.